Hey everybody, my name is Alex, you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. So, this week I want to talk about something that I've, I've probably talked about before in passing on the podcast, uh, in the Saturday edition, in the, not Saturday, third day edition, that I usually put up, and I've been putting up since I started this podcast. I'm going to say... At least since Napping Princess came out, if not before. But that's how I approach, but that thing is how I approach talking about anime, but also media in general. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I, I take a really odd approach because I'm not super interested in the, in much of what, like, the nerd culture values in terms of, you know, creators, morality of creators. Because of... Because of the way, like, nerd culture is oftentimes has been attacked with, like has been attached to a culture of intelligence and of, like, being very smart. I think, I think there's this quality, this, this tendency to, fo- to focus on the details of things like sh- of shows, all this other stuff, and, uh, 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 the, like, minutia of details around things like, you know, frames per second for animation. Um, that's where you get the entire um, Sakuga community in, an, in anime or in animation in general. It's called the Sakuga community, but there are tons of animation nerds who focus on really fluid animation in everything they see. And... Don't get me wrong, I do appreciate that stuff, but it's not something I focus on because I I think it's really important that we don't require that knowledge for art to be enjoyable. And what I mean by that is so much of what people who are not creative people see creative people's output as is something that they can't achieve. And I was talking to somebody recently where they were saying, like, I'm not that good at, you know, the creative side of things. And they they are really science-oriented. And the first thing I thought was, when when you see it's pretty natural at least in America if you're listening to this in America to see the arts and sciences as like a package thing at in school and college and all that stuff and that is because very often the two feed into each other and take from each other constantly because something that and I talked about this in my um 
in my actually my last Sunday edition, in that talent is all well and good, and you the the talent of artists is phenomenal and all well and good, but the skill of artists is also really valuable. But because there's such a focus on talent, even though what's largely being used in animation, there's, there's, for, there's for sure talent there, but lots of people mistake skill for talent because in a medium like animation, in order to meet the in order to meet the bar, not even jump over the bar, in order to meet the bar of quality that is required to make a successful animation, to make a successful, a commercially successful animation, your skill level has to be, has to be so high that it, it feels so natural that people perceive it as talent. And I've, I have gone through traditional anima- animation training. I have traditional, obviously, illustration, illustrator training, and you know I have a fine arts degree and background. So I I know where to go find all the info on like directors, you know who animated this cut, who animated that cut. All of that stuff. I could go out and do all of that research and nail it all down. But I don't want to talk about an art form in that way. Not because that's not valuable. It is knowing who those animators are and going to find them and finding their work on, say, social media and learning from it is a valuable thing. But oftentimes in nerd culture, those those statistics basically those like that data isn't translated into a learning form it's translated into a you know a weapon you can use against other nerds you can seem smarter you know it it is of and that's how you get like weird statistics of um that are interesting to know but have no value but have no real value to the people who know them and i'm gonna bring up hayao miyazaki here because i think i don't think the grumpy old fart is right i don't i'm not gonna say like anime was a mistake but i said also in my um previous sunday edition um that i don't think he believes the anime itself was a mistake i think he believes that the culture built up around it has some form of bad has has like soured in a way that he is not enamored with and I understand that because there are so there are so many there's so much beauty in the art that we all consume when we watch anime and that's really what it is it's art we are consuming you know we are consuming 
animation and oftentimes that art isn't that art is obscured by people's like focus on the story and i want to um talk about this that new bleach thing that's coming out that came 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 out on july 20th can't fear your own world because i think it's really kind of interesting because it bleach it, and this is unique to not only shonen properties but especially big shonen properties is because of the amount of time they need to spend they they're going to have to spend with these characters in this setting in whatever saying it is be it bleach or naruto or dragon ball v dragon ball v is a probably the least, the smallest of the universes, hilariously enough, uh, and even it's pretty fucking big, they need to engage in a kind of obsessive amount of world building just to give the show enough room to occur. So uh, imagine if in Naruto... They never left the Hidden Leaf Village. They just never left the Hidden Leaf Village, ever. That show would get pretty boring after a while, and they'd have to, like, do a kind of diving into the, like, every single citizen of the Hidden Leaf Village in a way that would kind of make you want to go to sleep. Um... Probably the best example of that is JoJo's, believe it or not, because it's, the way JoJo's functions is like a um, is like a shonen. It's like a shonen action series that loot that just is not interested in sticking with its core character all the way through. Because if you've watched JoJo's, and if you listen to this, I have no doubt you've watched JoJo's, basically the way they do it is they tell one whole story with one cast, and then they drop most of that cast and carry forward a single character as the kind of introductory character to the new cast and the new storyline. So part four, they take Kenichi and they put him in like, part five as the introductory character. So what they're doing there is they did this a little... They did this a little bit with Boruto, but it has its own issues. They bring a... They brought forth Kenichi, and they introduce everybody else through him. And... The reason why I don't talk about why I talk about things more through storytelling means and more through emotional hooks instead of saying like, oh, you know, Iraqi, blah 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 blah. Hayao Miyazaki touched this many retouched this many cells on Princess Mononoke because he wasn't personally happy with them. It's because that stuff is fun to know. But it doesn't. It doesn't have as much effect on. 
your perception of the show as if I tell you if I tell you my like experience and my joy of watching the show because I, and this is one of the reasons why I am honestly really kind of missed at the missed at two things really first when the um Kyoto Kyoto animation fire occurred the the next the, like that week fire force took a step back and was like we're not airing this episode right now and i saw tons of people like why isn't fire why is fire force doing this why they like attach it to, is it just not ready and they're using Kyoto animation of the cover. I don't get it. And having read the source material for that to past that point at that at that time, I said, well, I like straight up went into <laughs> Crunchyroll's friggin' Instagram comments of like, you guys don't know what's coming up. They basically set a building on fire. That's that's really callous for one it for one animation studio to put out into the world when another animation studio has had that thing happen to them within the week. It's not cool. It's not okay. Like, we'll all get our episode, it's fine. But they have the emotional intelligence to be like, yo, hold on. That is the... Those moments in animation are what I'm more interested in. I'm more interested in the in the art. I'm more interested in the artistry and the way it makes me feel. And the I have. So one of the reasons that they call mangaka sensei is because the kind of reverence for manga artists, for 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 manga for manga artists in Japan as kind of storytellers, in that they are almost teaching you what they want what they want you to know through telling you a story. And that makes total sense to me. Uh, because what any kind of writing is, is it's storytelling. So manga, American comics, all of this stuff. The difference between, and I'm working on a project with, um, actually you've heard her on this podcast before, my friend Lauren, but right now, and I'm noticing this, is that manga with rare exception because of just the way it has come about has much less of a focus on like these core teams of superheroes and all this stuff. And certainly Western comics has tons of different stories that you can go find in comics. But because manga has much less interest in always doing a serialized big long sprawling thing 
where everything gets kind of weirdly bloated and every once in a while they have to revamp it. Like they have to revamp the X-Men and they have to like 86 a bunch of characters out of the script. These lots of manga artists are telling new stories, and that's why they it can feel like they're a teacher at times because they are they're showing the world what they want the world to see. They aren't just it isn't just we took out this writer and we slotted this writer in his place, and he will do what he wants through the lens of, say, X-Men, or through the lens of Black Panther, or through the lens of, you know, Justice League or something. Because uh, this is one of the reasons why, um, and one of the reasons why they do that, and why, why that works the way it does in Japan is because the manga author has tons of control over their prop over their property going forward which means that um the though the article on bloomberg actually on app on apple news new like listening thing the when i first downloaded it about how the creator of the of attack on titan is just like He's ready to be done. He's ready to like be done with that thing and move on to either his next project or nothing because he's made more money than God. And um, the publisher who publishes that, um, Kodansha, is like at a loss because that was the profit. That was the that was the like that was the whale of a profit currently and still is currently. So they are on the look for out for the next thing, because unless the that manga author gives his blessing, or unless you know he decides to continue it, that thing that that cash cow is dying, is dying up, is dying, and. That's why you. That's how you get things like, um, Boruto. In, in that they try, they wanted a is if they definitely wanted a continuation of the cash cow that was the like Naruto universe, but Naruto was no longer popular, so it ended, and then, um, Boruto started up. Now, when I'm talking about, and Boruto started up, and it was originally penned by one of um, Kishimoto's assistants, and he basically was like, I'm not touching this fucking thing with a 10-foot pole, but I'll quote-unquote supervise it, and what that turns into is, what what Boruto then turned into was this, like, Boruto is always the most interesting when it's using the characters with the most development, which is the characters from Naruto. And the problem is is that at its most interesting and prominent, Boruto has no need for Boruto to be in it. 
the like actual named character. And it has this like empty feel of like you understand like you understand all the emotional beats to it, but you you also feel that this thing is pumping keychains out of the back of the factory kind of thing. And it It just it just it it has always struck me as an odd thing, but at the same time, it's really fun that they're like, "What's a village we didn't see a whole lot of?" Oh yeah, the hidden mist. Let's just go to the hidden mist, and they get to hit things like they get to hit the emotional beat of they go over the great Naruto bridge, and Broto is like, "What the thing named after my fucking dad?" and those emotions, like, the emotions of watching anime is so much more interesting for me to talk about than the, just like, oh, like like I said before, like, oh, this director did this, this director did that. If I think that stuff is really interesting, I try and bring it up. And it, it's not that I don't have the desire to know this stuff. When I want to know, I go looking for it. It's just, I think that it's really easy with any nerdy pursuit to be, to get lost in the minutiae of it and lose the forest for the trees, so to speak. And what I mean by that is it's really easy to not lean back and look at the big picture. And uh, there's tons of, anime that I've watched that people that I like but other otaku have like ripped to shreds because it had bad animation or all this other stuff but it's that's not the point the thing that people the thing that people take for granted about animation is that if at any point you're watching it on a screen, it has enough production on it usually then to to get to your screen. And that's a lot. Um, I think that I think for the Anime World Order episode where they talk about it, but there are so many failed attempts at starting up a licensing company for America. And those failed attempts are due to the fact that somebody was like, oh, I would love to license this show, that show, and that show, and, you know, put get them out the door. And I'm not saying it should be this way, but the roadblocks that come up against, that people come up against are very real, and, they co- and it costs a lot of money to do this stuff. You know, if you, if you can buy a DVD... It it means that people that they're printing them enough that people that they can sell them to people. That's a lot of money, and all of and I'm sure everybody's kind of learned this with the universe being the way it is and going to movies going to the movie theater not being a real 
not being a thing that you're real and soothed to do. And so Disney is coming out with Mulan on on their Disney Plus service. And they're charging 30 bucks for it. Now, lots of people, including me, are like, why the fuck am I going to pay 30 bucks for to watch a movie in my own home on a service I'm already paying a subscription fee for? Like, well, the reason why you're paying 30 bucks is because you're paying for the experience. Even when you watch a um anime, a second an anime series of movie, a second, third, fifth, thirteenth time, you are you're having an experience with it. you you're forming a connection with what's on screen and you. And I wanna highlight that connection and not the little like Oh, this is like, yeah, this show's kind of good, but there's an animation error and, like, the third cut-in. And I'm not saying I'm above, like, going after some truly dog-shit-looking shows. Like, the opening of Phoenix Wright needs to... It needs to die in a fire. That was not... It's like, that show was never a good idea, and then they released it, and everybody was like, oh! Did you... This isn't what we. Is this what we bought? Is this what we bought into? And because in that in cases like that, those shows, are generally less. How should I put this? Are generally less. The the. They're less effective because they were less. They had just not as much quality to them. But. And because they they come off feeling almost like a cash grab instead of like a show that was produced with love and put out into the world, honestly, whereas a Phoenix Wright anime, those games are extremely popular. I, you know, you, you can see the CEO with money in his eyes when you watch the opening of that show and you're like, oh, that just ain't it, man. And I, I've just always thought it's important that we don't get, keep, any media because someone doesn't appreciate the like technical aspects of it, which I know I listed a bunch of technical aspects to get here, but so when people ask you, the listener, or me what you remember about your favorite show. Most likely, you will not tell them, oh, the animation is... Like, I remember Cut 25 and Scene 2 was glorious. You'll tell them, I love the way this show feels. I love the way this show looks. I love the way that... Oh, I love this character. I love this character's 
like progression, all the all these things that have very little to do with the craft and skill of the show. And if somebody asks you to like re- refine the question, then you might get into voice actors. Then you might get into animation quality, all of this stuff. But the 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 core gut reason that we all love anime is because it it spoke some part of anime speaks to some part of us. Um, give you a really prime example. There's a show called. S cried, which I don't know that I've done an episode on yet, but I might have. You can check the feed and whatever you're using to listen to me right now. But S cried is it's not a great show, but it captures something so fundamental about life as somebody who has a lot of disadvantages that it really speaks to people who are who aren't at the top of the food chain in a really unique way and it has this weird predictive eerie predictive quality to it because it premiered about 5 years before um Katrina before Katrina Hurricane Katrina in um New Orleans turned that city into a smoking hole and it 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 has that like it now has that additional layer on it, and so you watch this and it feels so much more emotionally potent because it has that angle to it, has that angle to it that has nothing to do with like its production, it like its production at all, and the. So it's pretty telling to me that the shows and the shows about animation and about manga, um, the uh, like Bakuman or like um, Shirobako or oh fuck, what's the other one? Um, like shows like that are the most fun when they're not necessarily solely focusing on the craft. The craft is always there. This is also true of um, Alesso of that show New Game for video games. When the craft is the sole focus, it's not always... It doesn't always work. New Game does a, probably the best job I've seen of making it completely work. But when the craft is combined with the character's like, experience of the world through the media they're creating is when it's at its best. In New Game, there's, um, one of the characters has this whole collection of weapons on her walls. And she like uses them to figure out how she wants to do the animation or design of a weapon, and it's this like fascinating thing of this was like jock girl who went out and bought herself a plastic battle axe for work. 
And the... The thing that I think I would stress if you're really like detail-oriented, data-obsessed kind of anime fan, and you've been listening to my podcast, A, hello, B, if you let go of that just a little to have enough room to like see the emotional points of maybe some shows that you perceived as not very technically found, then you'll find some real beauty in those shows. And, you'll, and more importantly, you'll find more beauty in the shows you already love. And on that note, I have been Alex, and you have been listening to Lunchbox Radio's Sunday edition. If you like this episode, you can find more episodes by subscribing to the podcast and whatever you can listen to me right now. I, there won't be any notes with this, because this was off, like, just off the dome, so I hope you enjoyed this, and I will talk to you on Thursday. 